You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast. Before we get into the show today, just wanted to to uh, give a little bit of an overview of the show. We've got a bunch of new listeners. So Clark and I are both CPAs, and we started the show to interview millionaires and, and kind of tell their stories, but really to get into the details of their portfolio allocation and how they invest and the strategies they've used to build wealth over the years. And some of these millionaires have sold businesses. Some of them invested in real estate. And some of them have worked W-2 jobs and just saved over the years. So as you'll see, we'll get really into the details about how they allocate their money and kind of the strategies they've used over the years to get to the level of wealth that they are. So we also have a website. It's www.millionairesunveiled.com. And on that website, we, you know, there's numerous things. We have a few blog posts from people that have been willing to do interviews, but didn't necessarily want to come on the podcast, but they share their allocation, their investing strategies, their net worth. And so there's lots of information there. We also have a collection of the books and things that the people that we've interviewed have been interested in. And we kind of put that in one place so that our listeners could could find some good books to get started and, and some of the resources that we found helpful. And if you'd like to be on the show, email us. Our email is millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. And then also on the website, you could sign up for for our email list. We don't send out lots of emails, so we're not going to be spamming. But we'll also share some deal opportunities in in the multifamily and other spaces if, if you're interested in investing. So on today's show, we have Brian and Bo from The Money Guy Show. And this is a guest interview we're doing with them. And we're really excited about the interview with them. They're, they're fee-only financial planners, and they have some terrific advice. And just to highlight a few things, they had three personal financial goals for, for themselves, and that was to have a six-figure income by the age of 30, so to make 100000 by 30, to have $1 million in, in liquid net worth or liquid assets by 40, and to have a $10 million net worth by 50. So they kind of talk about those three goals, why they came up with those three goals, and and their progress towards those. And then in the actual interview, we kind of hit three main topics. And the first is the biggest investment and financial mistakes that they see as financial planners. The second is, is who needs a financial advisor and why, and some of the benefits. And then lastly is common missed opportunities in financial planning and and tax strategies. So they really offer unique insight and kind of a different point of view. And it's different than some of our other interviews, but great advice. Welcome to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. Today we've got a special guest, actually two. You guys know them as the money guys. Yes, we've got Bo and Brian. Bo and Brian, will you just give us a little bit about your background, what y'all do in your firm? Yeah, this is um, this is Brian. We, it, it's so interesting. I have this same problem when somebody I meet somebody in public. They say, "What do you do for a living?" And I never know whether to say 
I'm in social media podcasting and YouTube, or if I should tell people I'm a financial advisor, because don't you find, Bo, that yeah, that's yeah, always yeah. so confusing? Because we, without a doubt, what drives our business is the social media content. So we've been podcasting since 2006. Um, the Money Guy Show started out as a passion project where we just felt guilty for the people who didn't have a, a good objective source of good financial information to fill up their back pocket. So I started it just sharing good knowledge. We call it now the abundance cycle, letting people learn, grow. And then we we didn't accidentally realize that this actually led to creating clients because as people prospered and they became successful, they started reaching out saying, hey, how do we actually work with you guys now that we've built up this this basket of assets? And we feel flattered as well as fulfilled that this passion project that started out with a wholesome desire has turned into something pretty spectacular from a marketing standpoint too. And so the day job is we have a fee-only financial planning practice where we help you know individuals and families navigate their financial lives. Uh, we're headquartered uh, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Good stuff. And what's kind of the background of you two individually and in, in schooling and, and how long you've been in the business? Yeah, I actually, um, I, I went to University of Georgia, graduated with an accounting degree. I was originally finance, but I switched over to accounting because I wanted to have a job right out of college. And I um, worked in public accounting for four years and then transitioned to doing you know, financial planning full-time. Um, and then I went out on my own probably about six and a half to seven years into the industry. And um, I mean, the rest is kind of history. I mean, I'm a CPA, a certified public accountant, certified financial planner, and then personal financial specialist, which I always have to explain is just a CPA that does financial planning. Uh, and then I actually have a financial planning degree from the University of Georgia. It's what I went to school Go for. Go dogs! Go dogs! That's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, I'll, I carry the the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, as well as the CFA, the Chartered Financial Analyst designation. And I was fortunate enough that I, I got to uh, begin my career in 2008. Which, if you have any memory at all, it's a fantastic time uh, <laughs> to start managing money. It was really really awesome back then. <laughs> And, and Bo also likes to tell me that the growth of the podcast directly took a a, a, a rocket shot as soon as he joined. Too, yeah, I think, right. I think that's true. I think that's actually how you, you kind of started behind the scenes, and then you somehow charmed me to where your your full time personality is. Yeah, well on air probably really changed things. <laughs> Good stuff. So y'all shared with us kind of the way that you go about your goal setting. Do you want to just dive into a little bit about what you've done and kind of the benchmarks that you've kind of tried to measure? You know, through the course of your career in your life yeah i mean we have there's there's three things as we shared with you guys we i love your podcast where it allows people to come share their successes so people can because that's my favorite thing about what we do for a living is we we get to benchmark what the amazing people are doing to be successful so one of the things we've tried to create is we want to have goals that you set for yourselves at different stages and ages of your life but then when you reach them you celebrate. You kind of set things up. And these are just three big ones. We have much smaller ones that we're doing as well. But the first one that that, that I've, I've shared with Bo and we've talked about is like by 30 years of age, I wanted to make $100,000 a year. Um, by 40 years of age, I wanted to have a million dollars of liquid assets. And then by 50, which I'm not quite there yet, Bo likes to pick on me because I'm getting closer than I want to be. I want to <laughs> have $10 million of net worth. Um, so just giving you kind of some some updates. I started my company when I was 28 years old. By the time I was 30, I mean, I was still in the throes of trying to get yeah. things rocking and rolling. You know, that first three years is always a struggle for any new venture or business. Mm -hmm. So I didn't reach the 31, I mean, the 100,000 
until I was 31. And then the million dollars liquid, I didn't reach that at 40. So I failed on both of those goals, but I did reach it by 41. But on the goal three, the 10 million net worth, I am way ahead of the curve on that. So I think I'm going to fail on two and hopefully hit that th- third one with, with flying colors. You know, one of the one of the benchmarks that we always uh, suggest for our listeners as well as our clients to, to shoot for is uh, we think if you really are building towards financial independence and making wise financial decisions, your goal should be to save 20 to 25% of your gross income. So for whatever sure. you're bringing in, have that save for the future. Uh, you know, one of the one of the big goals I had when I first started out was to hit that 25% number. And what we found is once you can live in that sort of area where you're putting away that much, the numbers get really exciting really, really fast. Sure. Awesome. So let's dive in. You know, the first question I want to ask, and we usually ask this to each of the interviewers, are are some of the financial mistakes that they've made in their investing career. And so this will be a little bit different of an answer because you guys are financial advisors and you you see a lot more than a single individual does. So what are some of the biggest financial mistakes that you guys have seen? Yeah, one of the one of the biggest that we see and we see this often are folks who don't take full advantage of all the benefits that their employer offers. Uh, the one that really it kind of makes the hair on our arm stand up and makes our skin crawl a little bit is when an employer offers a match on a retirement plan, uh, whether it's a simple IRA, 401k, 403b, and the individual doesn't take advantage of that because that's free money. It's literally walking away from free money. Uh, and so that drives us crazy. But there are other uh, incentives and benefits also, like an employee stock purchase plan where maybe you get a 10 to 15% discount. For sure. Again, that's kind of a free money thing that you ought to be taking advantage of. Um, options, health insurance benefits, uh, maybe electing one of the health plans like uh, the high deductible plan so you get a contribution to your HSA. It's amazing how much money employees allow their employers to leave on the table. And then for me, I always talk about the investing. It's funny as I, I live in a, a, a nice neighborhood and I have neighbors who are executives and people who, who, who do great in life. And they always, when they find out what I do for a living, want to talk about their individual stocks picks, you know, whether it's <laughs> Under Armour, you know, you know, Snapchat or some other. And they think just because I do this for a living that I am, spend my day stock picking and looking at companies. And I always try to explain to people, I think the biggest mistake most people make is that they're going for the sexy sizzle. So don't get caught up in the sizzle and the desire to, to impress people. That's the biggest investment mistake I see. Awesome. Well, let me go back to the uh, to the employer match. I've heard you guys say on your show that it's just like leaving a bag of money in the building or outside your boss's door, right? Anybody would come back and grab it, but, of course. but some people. So what do you think is holding people up? Is it the lack of knowledge of you know, how to set that up and how to get going? Or do you think it's it's spending issues where they just don't have the money? What do you think is holding most people back there? Yeah, I think I think it's a, a combination of, of a lot of those things. I think some of it is a lack of knowledge. People either don't understand the stock market or investing, and that makes them nervous to think about participating in a 401k. If they don't realize, they don't think about it as an immediate 100% rate of return. And, and that's one of the things that we say in enrollment meetings, when we go talk to 401ks that, that we manage, uh, if if we were going to tell you about an investment that offers a guaranteed 100% rate of return, you'd absolutely do it. You don't have to know anything about stocks or bonds to, to go out and get that. So I think some of it is lack of information. But I think the other thing, too, is a lot of folks really suffer from this sort of immediacy nature where they have a hard time thinking about the future. So they don't want to commit to putting money in a 401k because that's supposed to be retirement. No, I'm, you know, I'm 
in my I'm 22 years old, fresh out of school. I'm not thinking about when I'm 60. So why would I do this 401k thing? There are other things that I'd rather use my money for. I think the human condition, most people, if they can't touch it, most people don't have vision. Part of the human condition is people don't have vision um, to understand. We're all three of us, three of the four CPAs. So we understand the difference between tangible and intangible assets. And I think that most people, if it's not something they can put their hands on, they can touch. That's why I always give the analogy of putting a bag of money outdoor, you know, outside the room, people will pick it up because they aren't going to leave something behind. But if you just put it on paper and actually that thing on paper might be worth more than a hundred dollar bill sitting outside your office, but people just don't get it. They don't connect. So that's one of the things we try to explain with vision planning and, and just having an understanding of discipline and deferred gratification is that if you can understand the concepts, becoming a saver, becoming an investor, actually you become addicted Mm -hmm. to that personality, but there's no support groups for people who suffer from the addiction to saving and investing because those are typically empire builders. And most people, you know, just do not have those, those faculties and talents to, to move forward with it. You know, it's interesting. The last, for for a few years I worked at uh, at KPMG and I bet, 70% 70% of the people that I worked with did not invest in the 401k. And it See, was that's nuts. That's, and and that's it was funny. always just, you know, I would say, well, why not? And just out of curiosity, and, they, and they'd say, oh, oh, yeah, I've been meaning to sign up. I've been meaning to. And, then, you know, next thing you know, they're there for four years and they're still not in it. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, and this is the first thing when we get a young call. I heard Bo on the phone this morning with a, a, a money guy listener who obviously didn't qualify, but you were giving them some advice. And I love when we can convince somebody, just start with do $100 a month, do $200 a month. And before you know it, I mean, they come back three, four, five years. It's like planting a seed for a big, giant live oak. And the fact that they come back and they go, man, I don't even miss that money, but it sure is nice. I sleep better knowing I have some resources. (laughs) I can be more generous to the causes that I want to. I mean, there is something fulfilling about the journey of, of doing things that plan for the future. Sure. And and one of your last uh, mistakes you mentioned is is putting your, your money to work early and getting started and having your money work for you. Talk about that a little bit. 94% of that million dollar goal, if you're trying to save $100 a month or whatever, comes from the growth of the assets, not actually the principal, the investment from the individual. It is putting that money to work. And then what Bo was talking about, the compounding interest, actually is what creates the million dollars. So you plant the seed, the tree will grow automatically. You just need to give it enough time to let it do what it does. And then the other thing that I think is really interesting about that is a lot a lot of, of folks come to us and we get these phone calls all the time. They think that um, investing is the solution to their problem. They don't have enough for retirement. So they come to us, hey, you know, <laughs> I need my, I need to double my portfolio in the next two years so I can retire, right? Or something ridiculous like that. They don't recognize that it is just a means to an end. It, it, it's a good place to put your savings. Saving is the actual silver bullet. Investing is the mechanism that allows you to grow that. It's amazing how valuable that mechanism can be when you give it time to work. Exactly. Good stuff. So what are what are some of the most common missed opportunities in financial planning and some of the tax strategies? I know you guys are experts in this. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Bo, we were talking about this before, you know, we got, we got the call from you guys and, and I loved how you said it, Bo, just share what you were talking about. I think one of the things that we see really, really often, and it, it, it's, it's, it's a good problem to have in the realm of problem, but, but it's still a problem is we get folks all the con- time who come to us and they're retirement rich. They may have a seven figure portfolio built it up, built up, but 100% of it exists in their 401k account. Which is a good thing. Being a millionaire, liquid, is fantastic. But when it all exists inside of a retirement account, every dollar you need to get to in retirement becomes kind of costly. And so what we try to encourage clients to do, and we say this to Money Guy listeners, is that just like you think about diversifying your assets and spreading out your investment allocation, you should also diversify your tax pots so that you're not only just building retirement assets that are tax deferred, you're also building tax free assets through Roth opportunities and then ultimately and then also after tax assets so that when you get to retirement or get to financial independence, no matter what the tax policy is at that time, if you have those three distinct tax buckets, you get to control what you pay in taxes in retirement. And that puts a lot of power uh, and, and you put you in the driver's seat of your t- retirement. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, most of you guys know, y'all, y'all are accountants as well. I think I built my business initially off of people not wanting to pay taxes. I mean, because everybody hates paying <laughs> uncle. Nobody, nobody loves, even people who claim that they want more taxes, when it comes to their taxes, they don't really want to <laughs> pay taxes themselves. So it's one of those things where we tell people to, to, to be very smart with the way you structure your assets. I mean, tax diversification is one thing because that allows you to manipulate the taxes that you'll pay in retirement. But then we also, I'm always amazed at how many advisors set up or even individuals set up portfolios and they don't try to move assets around to take advantage of tax location. Yeah. And I know this is really nerdy, but it is a big you know, benefit to people when they're saving for retirement is your two biggest cuts on you are going to be the fees you pay for your investments and advisors and then taxes is number two so you got to pay attention to why don't you buy your fixed income in that tax deferred account right. i mean it's already your bonds are going to be taxed as ordinary income anyway your high high growth assets you know if you're buying something that's really going to knock it out of the park long term put that in a roth account yeah. so it's tax free and then things that are paying dividends and other tax favored things that are taxed at a little bit lower rate put that in an after tax account and I think you'll be surprised at how when you can cut down the cost of taxes, you'll be benefited. And it's the same thing. Index funds. I was picking on them earlier because they're so boring. They're not sexy. They don't have the sizzle. Index funds don't generate a lot of income, right. so they're a great investment source for that purpose as well. And so here's a real quick check. If you're an investment philosophy, you're someone out there and that, you know, if you want a 60-40 portfolio, and so what you do is inside your Roth at 60-40 and inside your 401k at 60-40 and inside your taxable account at 60-40 you may not be doing that the best way possible. You may really want to put put some effort into looking at your tax location. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned the tax location. I've, I've, I've often wondered as we kind of have this population that's aging and kind of hitting that retirement age, these, these people that are hitting their 70s, you know, kind of had that first access to 401ks way back when, when they, when they came out. Have you seen some of those people get to that point where now they're starting to have to take required minimum distributions and now they're kind of pushed themselves into a higher tax bracket than they ever were in their entire life beforehand? For sure. For, for sure. I mean, one, one of my favorite things, I mean, th- there's two clients that I get super excited about. I get excited about the 20 and 30 year olds because we know, I, I see just an open canvas for what we can do for them. But the other ones are a client that's retiring 55 to 60 years of age because they still are 10 to 15 years from hitting retirement. 
And usually their income drops off a cliff because they left a high paying job and now they don't have a lot of income. We can usually do a lot of Roth conversions and do other things to manipulate the lower tax rates to get as much of that money turned into tax-free Roth accounts as possible. It's fun and, and clients will love it because once again, you're sticking it to the man legally and we all hate paying our taxes. <laughs> so it's a, it's a great win-win for everybody. What about HSAs? Have you seen people kind of play those to, to their best advantage? I don't think they're used as much as they should be. I mean, people, because look, let's face it, healthcare has evolved. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, healthcare really was one of those things where you went to the doctor, you paid your copay, and you know, it didn't matter how often you went, as long as you paid your copay, you were okay. Insurance has, has changed to the point now where it's more likely your insurance is because of deductibles and and other in the restructuring of them, you now are basically paying access for a discounted network. Right. I mean, that's really what's going on in healthcare. Is you're just paying for the discounts that your insurance company is going to offer, and then you're paying. So let's figure out a better way to to pay for healthcare and to save. And in HSAs, I like to say that they're sleeper retirement accounts. And whenever people talk about that triple tax advantage, what they're talking about, I, I feel like we have to tell your listeners so they, they don't like, think it's an inside thing when we say that. The first thing on the triple tax advantage is, number one, the deduction. When you make a contribution to a health savings account, a family can do 6750 in 2017. 6900 in 2018, which we're in. Um, you get a tax deduction for the contribution on your tax return. And what's the, uh, what's the income limit on that, Brian? Oh, there is no income. There is no income. So even if you're someone who makes ten million dollars a year, yeah. you can still take I was like, that. Don't throw curveballs. I'm supposed to be the tax guy. And I'm like, no, there's no limit. Number two is tax deferred growth because you know the money sits in the account just like a retirement account, but this is for healthcare purposes, and it will grow tax deferred. And then number three is if you actually use it for medical expenses, tax free. Now here's the cool bonus points, advanced pro level thing that we do, and I do this myself. I actually don't use my health savings account to reimburse my medical expenses. I actually record all my expenses. I have this fancy dancy nerdy little spreadsheet and I keep all the, the EOBs and the receipts. And then I'm waiting for five, seven, ten. I haven't figured out how long I'm going to keep it. I'm letting the assets invest and grow. And then because the, there's no limit on when you can go and get reimbursement from your health savings account. I'm going to go back, get reimbursement for my expenses 10 years ago and pay for it probably with the growth of the account, not pay any taxes and still have money that's out there working for me. And that's why I say it's a sleeper retirement account. Really cool stuff. Yeah, that's an awesome, awesome point you make there. I do the same thing. And, you know, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, healthcare for most people, 80 to 90 percent of it's going to be kind of in the last 10 years of their life. Yeah. You know, yep. instead of the, the first 50, 60 or 70. What are some of the things that you see people do with the charitable giving in terms of tax planning and, and investment strategies? Yeah, so so charitable giving, you know, it, it, it used to be um, it used to be pretty simple based on tax code, but now with the the new uh, tax change that we've seen, I think that having a strategy behind charitable giving is gonna make a lot of sense. And one of the one of the really easy uh, and exciting ways you can do that is through like a charitable gift fund. And the way a charitable gift fund works is that you can make a contribution to that fund uh, and you get an immediate tax deduction for the amount of the contribution. But you can then distribute that to as many organizations you want over whatever time period you want. So uh, now that the standard deduction is increased for filers here, here in the United States, 
Uh, a lot of folks, maybe with their charitable deductions, it's not getting them over that threshold where they are itemizing. So you might be a prime candidate where you should start bundling your charitable gifts where you do two uh, two contributions or you make a contribution every two years and then spread the giving out. And then the other really exciting thing you can do is you can actually gift appreciated securities to charitable gift funds. Yeah, I mean, we call it, it's a stacking strategy because here's the thing. We all want to be generous because I think that's one of the the, the things that you hope to be successful for so that you can go after and help causes that you that are dear to you. And what I like is, is that because there's been a lot of press about how this new tax policy with the higher itemized deductions is going to kill the charities. I think if you use one of these charitable gift funds, it allows you because the problem with stacking charitable gift contributions is that if you do that, your churches and your institutions that you, you want to support, they're going to, you know, if you have to give them an accordion of giving them money this year and then you hold off next year because you're stacking them, they're going to hurt. With a charitable gift fund, you have the ability to kind of spread that gift out but take the tax deduction in a very strategic way. Mm -hmm. So, um, and th these things are getting cheaper and cheaper. I mean, it's just a few thousand bucks to open one. So if you tithe or, or you give, more than likely, you're, if you're doing a few thousand dollars a year, these things might make sense. It used to be only for appreciated holdings it made sense, but now that we have this stacking opportunity, I think people, even if you don't have the appreciation, the ability just to load up your deductions might make more sense. But the appreciated holdings, a lot of folks say, okay, well, I want to start this. How do I do the first year? Because I don't want the organi organizations that I support to miss a year of contributions. I get once we start it, how I make that work. Um, if you're someone who does have a large taxable account and say, you know, you want to. You know, you've got ten thousand dollars of S and P five hundred, uh, and you originally paid five thousand dollars for it. You can gift that ten thousand dollars to charitable gift fund, get a full ten thousand dollar deduction, uh, and you don't have to pay any capital gains or any tax on that gain. It's a really incredible way to shield shield that taxation. And it cracks me up. I, I think my church even does it. If you go on their website, they'll say we'll take your stock because most organizations are set up where they're. They have an account at a brokerage account where they can take stocks. What's cool about these charitable gift funds that they have at Fidelity and Schwab, you can give mutual funds. You can give stocks, which are everybody knows about stocks. But I like the fact that you can give appreciated mutual funds. A lot of people don't realize there's a planning opportunity even with your mutual funds. And so who do you guys who do you guys recommend for that? I use Fidelity Charitable Trust. You said Charles Schwab. Is there, you know, who else? Probably, does Vanguard have one? I'm not sure, actually. I'm not sure if Vanguard has, I mean, we're familiar definitely with the Schwab and the, the Fidelity. I personally have a Fidelity one, but that's, um, I mean, that's more of preference than, than I think anything and else. And if you're curious, I, the reason that we like the Fidelity Shareable Gift Fund the best is that their online interface is so easy to use. Yeah, it it's really easy to make contributions, link accounts, and then even when you go to make your grant requests, I'm amazed at how many organizations are already recognized in their database so that you can set up a monthly or weekly contribution to your church, and there's a high likelihood that it's already in there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the minimum is like fifty dollars. Yeah, it's pretty. I it's, mean, it's it's, it's low. low barrier. It might even be less than that. But it's a, you. So don't think if you're just giving a hundred dollars or two hundred dollars that that's probably not something worth, you know, contributing out. No, they don't care. I mean, they just want to make sure it's a a recognized or good entity. And that's the other thing is I like that the the Fidelity Charitable Gift Portal. Let you at least also do some research on the organizations you're giving. So, I mean, they don't restrict, but they give you definitely some data points and information to let you know your charity is doing a good job. That's right. Yeah, I think that's a, a great tax strategy. So, let me pivot here. You guys are financial advisors, fee only financial advisors. Talk about who needs a financial advisor. You know, most of our listeners are kind of do it yourselfers, but, but they still may use the help, you think. So, talk about who needs a financial advisor. 
We definitely, I, I will tell you, I think we are the biggest graduation point for do-it-yourselfers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we I don't know what it is about. Maybe it's because we do the Money Guy show. I'm a CPA, Bo's a CFA, so we're highly technical, very analytical. We attract a lot of engineers, pilots, doctors. These are people, in other words, there's not a lot of dummies coming to, to the Money Guy right. and, and abound wealth. But And Bo, you do a great job of kind of expressing why, why, when people have reached the point that they need to, to bring professional help on. Yeah, the, we think that there are really sort of three things that happen. Uh, the first is the gravity of your financial decisions becomes greater than you feel like carrying by yourself. Uh, and the real easy example we say is if you have 10000 bucks and you make a 10% mistake, you lose $1,000. And so that's probably not going to change your life, probably not going to change your retirement. You get to a million dollars and you make a 10% mistake, now you've lost $100,000. Now you're talking about some real material wealth, some income replacement, maybe more than you save in a year. So the gravity of your situation gets so big that you'd like to have some assistance or some help there. The second time that we think it makes a lot of sense is when uh, your life gets complicated. So when you first start out, you're saving, you're doing the 401k, maybe a Roth IRA. There's not a ton of complication. But as you start to advance in your career, as you start to have your family, employer incentives, and all these other items that come in, your situation gets a little more complicated. And so maybe you don't fully understand tax location and asset allocation, how all the different areas of your financial life work together. And there's two that have happened recently that I've and I, I'm getting older. I'm in my mid 40s now, so I kind of get it. You know, you start thinking about your life in much broader terms than being that warrior and, and just conquering the world. And we've had a lot of successful people come to us because they're worried what happens. Because you know, you guys probably in your relationships, you have a spouse that's into the money and you know maintaining and growing, and then you have another one that's just in you know not as financially interested. We have a lot of successful people that are worried what happens when they're no longer head of the ship, you know, or incapacitated, just getting older, not keeping up with it, or even just passing away, they hire us as kind of the backup, you know, because they like our mentality on how we do it. And then the newest one is realize we have this aging population, you know, the baby boomers are getting older. We have a lot of listeners that are bringing us their parents because they look at, they're getting old enough and they're having their own success. And then they look at what the, the way their parents are managing their money with their old school financial advisors. And they're going, what is this? You know, there's a new way to do this. And and that's kind of really fulfilling to me is to see people kind of think about where the step beyond they've done a great job. They've been very successful and they'd like to just have somebody kind of come in and and make sure there's a backup plan for them. And then, you know, for a lot of folks, it's not because they lack the ability, the skill set, the knowledge. It's they lack the time with family commitments, community commitments, career commitments. It's really easy for your financial life to be that thing that gets put on the back burner. So even if you have all the skills in the world and all the talent in the world, you just may not have the time available to manage what your situation has grown into as well as it could be managed. Yeah, that's that's a great It really is. Because, I mean, we're we're the anti-sales. I feel like we (laughs) – I mean, because it kind of is one of those things where I hate selling. I think that's why the podcast has done so well as I was creating an education platform versus a sales platform. And I think that that desire not to sell has led to us being more seen as partners and consultants for our clients. And I, I know we're talking about who needs a financial advisor. Is, do you, can you, are you guys okay if we just mention just one quick thing about who doesn't need a financial advisor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. So, because <laughs> so, I think this is important. You know, folks ask us all the time. This is different. Does everybody need a here, here's our opinion. We think with all the resources out there, 
uh, with podcasts and magazines and books and blogs and all these different resources available, self-management is much easier now than it was 5, 10, 15 years ago. So we think really it probably doesn't make sense for most folks to see a financial advisor until their investment assets hit that critical mass of two hundred dollars to $300,000. Up until that, with things like target retirement funds and that sort of thing, self-management makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. I mean, that's when, because that's when life starts happening. I mean, when, when people, your complexity kicks up a lot once you get over, y'all know, doing taxes and working the in the accounting field. Most people can use, a lot of people can use TurboTax, but there does come a level where you go, wait a minute, you have rental property, you have all these K-1s coming in, you have itemized deductions. Man, that, that CPA is going to do it a lot quicker than you can do it. It's kind of the same way with managing your assets. I mean, in the beginning, a lot of it's going to take care of itself if you can just use some of the tools like Bo mentioned with the target retirement funds. So don't let that money work for you before you go bring in the the big guns because we definitely think there's a value to a financial advisor, but you don't have to get in a hurry until you build a good base level of assets. You need to focus on the accumulation and building that army of dollar bills before you need to go in and, and start putting another fee on top of your investments. Awesome. I think that's that's great, honest, and uh, d- direct advice. I'm telling you, we're the king of anti-sales. I mean, it is. Uh, <laughs> I think the, we have found the more generous, the more we give away. That's the whole abundance cycle. People graduate to where they say, wait a minute, you guys are giving it. Now, you know, here, we want you to come come on board. We want to work with you personally. It's it's worked so well that we, we kind of now embrace it. So just to summarize here, this is uh, Brian and Bo from The Money Guys. They have a podcast called The Money Guys Podcast, Money Guys Show. What are you guys excited about with that show, and where do you take it from here? Oh man, I mean, this is—it's funny the timing of that question because we, you know, pre-prep we didn't talk about you guys. Ask that question is I told my wife this morning, I am so energized for for where we are right now is because y'all don't understand when I started doing this podcast in 2006, my wife had to go tell my friends not to make fun of me because this was kooky. I mean, it, there's no other <laughs> word to say it, but it's completely kooky to think that hey, I'm going to go start doing this podcast when people barely had iPods in their pockets at the time. So that's paid off. And I just remember the journey has been really exciting to see this concept grow and the podcast became successful and took a life of its own. Well, about a year ago, and I'd like to tell you everything's deliberate, but we stumble across everything. <laughs> we had a corporate partner, Progressive Commercial, had hired us to do some 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 outside videos specifically for some of their clients. So we did a whole special series for them for truckers. Truckerterritory.com, we might as well give them a plug. If you go to truckerterritory.com, well, one of the things they wanted was a video podcast. Well, we had no background in video. So we hired a local gentleman to come in and record the show. He did the one or two episodes we were supposed to do with Progressive Commercial. And then we liked it so much, we were like, we could do this with our yeah. normal show. Yeah, that's the big the big vision for it is is, is you know the financial industry is, is so profitable and so lucrative. Uh, there's just a lot of and I feel bad. There's just a lot of snakes in there. I mean, we, we and we've seen this over and over. And there's a lot of really bad misinformation. Our goal for the Money Guy Show is to get as much good, relevant, sound financial information out there as possible, so that hopefully we can make this. You know, hopefully the rising tide lifts all boats. Good stuff. So I've got a question. And, and this kind of comes from some of our listener base because we've got we've got tons that love just real estate and then we've got tons that love just the market and they kind of sure. play one or the other. 
As financial advisors, typically most financial advisors, I should say, and this is categorizing the industry, probably advise a lot more on investing in the market. What do you sure. all do in terms of clients and, and people when they say that, hey, I want to invest in real estate? Uh, you know, I'm, it, it's, it depends on their aptitude and their skill set. I mean, every, it's very personalized. I, I, I don't want to break it out where you think I'm avoiding the question, but I do think it's very personalized. I do think the average unhandy, unorganized person just buy the the index funds, the you know the the diversified typical investment plan. But I do think as you go up the pyramid of assets and success, real estate is going to cross. I mean, it, it's just going to become because there's great dividends. There's great. I mean, if you think of, I say dividends, you get great rental income. You also can build your own pension out of real estate assets. I definitely think there's a tremendous opportunity if you look at the millionaire next door and the research. Success and wealth a lot of times is created by either small business ownership or people doing real estate. It's just that I always try to encourage people, get that base level of assets for you before you get too far ahead of you. Because I've seen too many people who get that order of operations out of kilter. And if you're lucky, maybe the real estate hits for you right in the beginning. But if you're if you're wrong, it can devastate you if you sure. haven't covered the, the first three to four steps before you get into real estate. But we love real estate. But you got to make sure you check the boxes on making sure your financial house is in order before you just jump headfirst into it. And then you need to understand, you know, are you when you when you invest in real estate, are you a residential rental property investor? Are you a raw land investor? Are you a commercial property investor? You have to. It's just like you said. You have to know kind of where you are and, and what your specialty is, because folks who come out and the very first investment they want to make and they want to go take down a bunch of debt and and go buy some big property. You're not setting yourself up for success. You're setting yourself up to hopefully get lucky, right? Uh, if you do have a baseline of assets and you have, you know, something in the coffers to protect you, then you can make those decisions that might be a little further out of the risk spectrum, and and you can weather any volatility that you see. And, and a good financial advisor is going to hopefully help you bring all that together. I mean, we've got some stories. We not only do we do them. I think you're right. That's one of the things. And I'll just say it, a lot of people love Vanguard. And we like Vanguard investments. But Vanguard, if you go to them for your financial planning, are going to want to talk about your portfolio assets. They're not going to want to talk about your real estate goals. You're not, not going to want to talk about if you want to open a chicken franchise. You'd be surprised at some of the things <laughs> that we've had clients or solar panels on their roofs. I mean, we get asked all kind of quirky things because that's the way life is. You right. never know what is going to happen in your financial life year to year. The world is becoming much more commoditized on the investing. If you're just looking for investing in a mutual fund or an index fund, that's easy. But life is much more messy and complicated right. than, than just that. Good stuff. So to wrap up, what, what would your advice be to a 25-year-old new grad just getting started? Uh, the biggest advice I, I would tell them is that uh, right now while you're just starting, your rate of return is exponentially less important than your savings rate. Focus on how much of that gross income you're putting away. Focus on how you're living below your means, deferring gratification, and you will be amazed at how quickly that snowball begins to build. And then here's one that I kind of stumbled into, and, and I, I, I don't say this lightly, but it is something you always measure twice before you cut once. Since this is a podcast about becoming a millionaire, realize the best time to take a risk is when you're young. I mean, without a doubt, you can, and this is what I told my wife when I was 28, you know, I had some life events happen where my dad got sick, passed away, it gave me laser focus on what was important. And I knew that we didn't have kids. We didn't have a lot of debt at the time. 
this was the time to go head first because if I failed, I still could recover. I see so many people, and this is why I think we have so many midlife crises in America, so many divorces, so much broken lives. It's because people get to 40, 50 years old, and they look back and they go, I don't really like where I'm at. I don't right. I don't like what's going on in my life. And it's because they they kind of squandered the the youth and the opportunity of taking a risk, taking a big jump while you're young. So if you're 25, and I'm not saying everybody should go start a business, but if you recognize you do something better and differently than most people and you have vision, mm-hmm. why not? Don't yeah. short don't sell yourself short. And it doesn't have to be just starting a business. It could be moving across state lines to another place um, that has more opportunities. And my next door neighbor works for a technology company and he lived out in the San Francisco Bay Area for him and his wife did for a number of years. He thinks every 20 something ought to go live out in Silicon Valley or in the Bay Area for at least four or five years because there's so much pedigree that can be built by taking in that. I'm not saying, I guess I did say everybody, but I'm just (laughs) saying that you can take risk that can be fulfilling. Think bigger than just, you know, little stuff. I think you can, the twenties is when to do those things. Awesome. Where can people find out about y'all or get in touch with you? Well, I mean, the easiest way to go to to look at us up is go to moneyguy.com. Um, you can also go out to YouTube and we have the money guy show on YouTube as well. And then we're on Twitter. Um, I mean, we I'm just moneyguy.com, aboundwealth.com. Those are the easiest things. Yeah, and we have a contact us page. If you have questions, you want to reach out, click on contact us, send them to us, and we'll, you know, we're happy to happy to answer any questions. Be a resource in any way that we can. Awesome, Bo and Brian from the Money Guys. Thanks for coming on the show today. Jay Clark, thank, thank you, you for the opportunity. We uh, I, I hope you know gratitude, heart, big thank you for even this opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.